word of the Lord, which this evening comes from Hebrews chapter 2, that famous Christmas passage that you all think about first when you think about Christmas. I do, but then I like Hebrews a lot. So let us uh, hear the word of the Lord. This is from Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 through 18. Hear the word of the Lord. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not the angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. This is the end of the word of the Lord to us tonight. Let us pray. O Lord, our God, we thank you for the reading of your word so powerful. We thank you for your Holy Spirit given to us that we may understand it and we may grow in our sanctification as we read here that comes from you for you are the one who sanctifies purify our minds O lord direct our thoughts that we may give you honor and glory in our uh, in our time and reflection upon the word this evening we bow before you our great god in jesus name we pray amen the background of our text comes from a passage in Psalms, Psalm 47. This was not the one uh, that our author in Hebrews quoted, but this is the background of our text. This is Psalm 49, verses 7 through 8. Hear the word of the Lord. Truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. For the ransom of their life is costly, and can never suffice that he should live on forever and never see the pit. Brothers and sisters, if that were the sum of the word of the Lord, we would have no hope. For surely no man can give his life for his brother. It seems to be a judgment that is stated that there's no hope for anybody who is in need of redemption and a ransom from death. This sounds like a death knell with no hope and no way around it. Surely no man can give his life for his brother. It's interesting, isn't it, that in our text, 
we find that Jesus claims us as brothers and sisters. This is, this is not accidental. Because God has overcome that limitation. No man can give his life for his brother or sister, ordinary man. But there is one who could. And that's why he came. That's, that's the message of Hebrews 2 in the passage we read. And behind this is something even more marvelous. And it starts in verse 10 with this word that I want to meditate on with you. Notice it says, for it was fitting. It was fitting. It was proper. That he for whom and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Why is this fitting? Why is this proper? That he who, uh, through whom and on account of whom and from whom are all things, why is it fitting that he is the one uh, who initiates all of this? And he's the one, obviously here, who sent his son. Why is this fitting? Well, the answer is, to begin with, God is God. This may sound uh, trite, but that's what it says here when it says, for whom and by whom all things exist. He is God, and he has acted like God from the beginning. He is the creator God who originates everything, from whom all things exist, from whom are all things. We actually saw this in our previous reflections on Ephesians 2. Remember, by grace you are saved through faith. Uh, this is not from you. It is a gift from God. He's the one who initiates all of this, and he's the source of it all. And that's what we have here as well. Uh, the author of Hebrews is agreeing with Paul's statement on that uh, account. It is God who, who has initiated these things. He is the one who has, is properly uh, the one to bring about the redemption of his people. And that is what he has done. Let me read to you from another passage. This is from Isaiah 40, verses 13 and following. Let me read this for you. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult? And who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice? And taught him knowledge? And showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from the bucket and are counted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are counted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. This is who God is. God is majestic and without bounds. He fills the heavens and the earth. He is God Almighty. He is the one in whom all the nations are counted as nothing. They are uh, not significant in comparison with him. 
And this is where the mystery of the Incarnation really focuses our attention. It's because even though we are less than nothing in the dust under His feet, He had regard for us. He had compassion on us. He looked upon us with His pity and compassion. And He came down. He sent His own Son to be one of us. One of us the dust of the earth, he sent his own son that we might be his brothers and sisters. That's, it's fitting so that he might have all the glory, that everything might be traced back to him, the source of all things. It's fitting for him because he is the one who brings everything good to pass and he has brought, he has brought great good to us. You know, we sang that song, the second hymn we sang, the middle line there, it said, the holy shepherds, you know, the, the angels appearing to the holy shepherds. I had to, I'm sorry, I had to smile when I sang that, because first of all, shepherds were a pretty rough lot. They were pretty well known to be a pretty rough bunch of fellers. And secondly, they were often slaves. Very frequently, they were slaves. I want you to think about that. Here are these angels <laughs> appearing to these slaves out in the field, this rough lot, people whom no one regarded with any favor. They're not living in king's palaces. They're out there uh, at a hard job, alone in the dark and cold, taking care of sheep that's not even their own, and an angel appears, and then the choir of heaven appears to sing to these guys. He has had regard for us. He has had regard for us. He doesn't, he knows who we are. He knows our limitations and who we are before him, and he had regard for us. In those shepherds, there is our hope. There is the time of glory for God. This is why the angels sing, glory to God in the highest. Even talking to these shepherds to show his compassion and glory. You know, it's interesting how people try to take over God's role in uh, bringing to pass our religious uh, confidence and hope. So, you know, incense and bells or self-esteem classes or maybe some hypnosis. You know, I've been in places. <laughs> I've been around. And there are times when I'm thinking, oh boy, oh boy, this is not what we should be doing in church. Uh, <laughs> uh, even good things can be a problem. But in the days of Hebrews, uh, there were things here going on in Hebrews where he's dealing with people who are think, I've got to see the stuff. I've got to see the barbecue. See, if, I, if my sins are going to be covered and I'm going to have any value before God, I've got to offer the meat sacrifice and I've got to smell the barbecue. You know, that often talks about a sweet aroma of sacrifice. It's barbecue. I mean, it, that's exactly what it is. It smells like that. It does smell sweet. It's, it's roasted meat. Uh, 
And this is a good thing, but its time is over with. In Jesus Christ, those have all been made obsolete. Even good things have been made obsolete. And notice how God talks about this in Micah. We read this this morning in another context, a different passage in Micah. This is Micah chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. You walk humbly with your God. This is, this is not self-made religion. It is looking to him for the proper sacrifice, and it is looking to him to be our God and to walk with us as we walk with him. This was fitting for God to initiate our salvation because he is God. Rivers of oil wouldn't suffice. Whole troops and fields full of animals for sacrifice. They wouldn't suffice. He doesn't need those things. He's not hungry. He, he has no need of those things. What can we offer to our God in uh, defense of our, uh, ourselves in light of our sin? We can't. This is why we turn to the Lord and give him honor, for he has done what is fitting because he is God and shows his compassion. What is it that's fitting now? So we talked about why it's fitting. It's because he's God. What is it that's fitting? Well, in verse 10, lead many sons to glory. Of course, this means daughters as well. Led many sons to glory. He's leading us to glory. And notice how that is accomplished. By his acting on his incarnate son, by perfecting him, and that's a term used for preparing a high priest to fill his office. Perfection in the book of Hebrews means that. Qualify to enter into the presence of God. For a priest, it means prepare him with proper sacrifice and uh, clothing so that he's ready to go into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement. That's what perfection means. Uh, it's, a it's a sacramental, sacrificial event. And that's, that's perfection. And that's what's going on here. He perfected him. He perfected the Son of God to enter into his presence. But he had to come in through suffering. He had to take upon himself our sins and enter into the presence of God as a sacrifice that God does find pleasing. This is, this is what we're being told in verse 10. He leads us into glory by leading his son into death. That's what, it, that's what was fitting for God to do, and he did it. It was a fitting way for God to show his glory and who he is as a compassionate God. He initiated this salvation. And then furthermore in verse 14, we actually sang about this in the last hymn we sang, 
the destruction of death by the destruction of the agent of death, the power of death that is the devil. He has, he has destroyed the devil and all of his kingdom. We saw that in the passage this morning. You know, behind Herod and all of that vicious, uh, nasty uh, actions of that man who is a vicious fellow, was the devil who is a murderer from the beginning. And that's whom our Savior came to destroy. He came to loot his kingdom and take, take away the devil's most prized possessions. You, his allies. He's taken you from the devil and he's looted the devil's house to take you out of the devil's possession and into his own, and into his own house as his brothers. He's atoned for our sins. And this is why this Psalm 49 could be so stark. But remember, no man can give his life for his brothers. But Jesus is not a mere man. Remember that, that passage in Isaiah that we read this morning where it said, the Lord looked around and he saw no man. And so he himself took up his armor and he came down. He came down like a rushing river. He came down uh, to uh, invade our world by sending his son to redeem us, to, to sacrifice himself for us. You know, God could have, you would think, merely by saying a word covered over all of our sins. He could have simply snapped his fingers and said, okay, well, I'm going to do away with those sins. It, it, it really doesn't matter. But here's the problem. He would not be God. He would not be a good God. He would not be a righteous God. He would not be a holy God. You see, his righteousness and his holiness is satisfied in the sacrifice of his son on our behalf. That's why he did that. And that's because he's good. His goodness, his righteousness, his holiness are all operating together in the sacrifice of our Savior on our behalf. This is why it was necessary for our Lord to become incarnate. And that's verse 17. It's a little three-letter word here. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. He had to. It's a little word, but a lot of meaning. You can also render this, he was under obligation to be made like his brothers. He had to be made like his brothers. He, he must do that. If he is going to rescue us from death and from the snare of the devil, he had to be made like us in every way. Every single way, blood and flesh. The reality of his humanity in the stable in Bethlehem, he had to do that because he would have you. He would have you. It was his sympathy, his compassion. Look at this, verse 17 and 18. He had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. It is his mercy, his compassion, 
He, he comes to our aid. He is sympathetic with us. He knows what it's like to be here and to be assaulted by attacks of the devil and of sin. He knows what it's all about. He has seen sin firsthand, and he did not wince. Instead, he took it on, and he defeated it on the cross. This is what the Savior came to do, and he had to do this. It was, it, he was under obligation to do this. And, brothers and sisters, this is where our, our passage, our author here has quoted Psalm 22. This is an interesting psalm to quote here. This is in verse 12. Let me read verses 11 here. And I'll just read this. Verse 11 and following. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. This is Psalm 22. How does Psalm 22 start? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The cry of dereliction from the cross, the cry of abandonment of our Savior in his saving us on the cross. That's how that psalm starts. And the psalm was composed as an echo of our Savior's words on the cross. That's why they're there. They're, they're an echo reverberating back in history to the psalmist who's hearing it and writes it down for us to hear the cry of dereliction before it takes place, and then it takes place. But Christ is not acting on the cross. It's, it's what is being composed earlier that we might hear it. And now, brothers and sisters, I want, to, I want to tell you something about this psalm quote here. Verse 12, I will tell of your name to my brothers. It doesn't come across quite with the power that it should. I, I don't know how to do it. I, this is why I'm here to tell you this. Uh, and that is, the expression here is an unusual one. And it communicates resolution in the midst of all of this darkness and uh, all of this pain and difficulty of accomplishing it. He's exerting everything he has, and you see this resolution in this statement. Because when it says this, it uses an expression that says, I will most certainly do this. You can hear the Savior resolving to do this. I will do this. I am determined to do this. I will bring this to pass. Despite all the anguish and the dereliction, the, the abandonment by his father, I will do this. I will have these people as my own. I will proclaim your name. And then notice what it means. I will proclaim your name, the name of a big part, and I will proclaim your name to my brothers in the midst of the great congregation. <laughs> and the great congregation is the great congregation. This is the great assembly of all the people of God throughout all the ages before God, standing in his presence at the end of the age. I will proclaim your name to my brothers, and they will be my brothers on that day. 
They will be mine. They'll be part of my family. This will happen. I have to do this. I'm under obligation to do this, and I will do it. Here is the mercy of our Savior. This is what he did. Uh, this, is, this is what Christmas started. Christmas ends up on the cross. But what a glory that is. And it was fitting for God to do this. Because he's God. It's a great mystery. We, it wouldn't be fitting for us to do it. But it's fitting for God, who's full of glory and compassion and kindness, to send his Son to be our Savior. Christmas is a wonderful time of the year. Christmas is when we, we look at this fittingness of God to send his Son to be one of us, that he would have us as his brothers and sisters forever. Praise the Lord in the gospel of Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Words are hardly adequate, O Lord, to express the wonder of your compassion and glory here. You, O Lord, the great God, it was fitting for you to, to bring many sons to glory through this Savior to make him one of us. Uh, what a wonder and glory to you, O Lord. We will sing your praise forever for these things. Angels long to look into it, and here it is. We get to see it. We thank you, O Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, our great high priest, that we have hope in him, that he has done this for us, unwilling, un, unworthy as we are. We pray, O Lord, that we would all of our days, sing your praise for these great and marvelous things in the gospel of Christ. Amen.